Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks, howdy and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. Today's episode is going to be a little different for a couple of reasons. This is the first completely mobile on-the-road edition that I have done. And so first I want to tell you where I am and how I'm doing this. I'm working from a laptop computer and I'm operating completely on battery power. So if the computer battery dies, the podcast ends. And I've been uh, riding around Columbus, Georgia during the day, the daytime to try to scout out possible locations to be able to sit down and do this sort of thing. And, you know, I've been to the library and I've been to a number of different parks and this sort of thing. And I stumbled across this beautiful park called Rotary Park. And I am sitting here at a concrete picnic table in the shade of a big river birch tree and a magnolia tree and in the shade and right behind me about I guess about a hundred feet behind me is the bank of the Chattahoochee River and I am south of Columbus Georgia I'm probably you know from the heart of downtown I'm probably about three miles south of there and uh, so I'm sitting here on the banks of the Chattahoochee. So as I look across the river, those trees on the other side, that is Alabama. And so anyway, I found this little place, and there's a highway running along out here in front of it, probably, I don't know, 300 yards away, and you'll probably hear some trucks going by. And of course, you will hear the wildlife. (laughs) This may bring back bad memories to of some of you who listen to my The Sounds of Nature podcast. Um, so anyway, hopefully there won't be too much nature to bother you today. Um, I chose this particular spot. I'd been to some other picnic tables and there were just a lot of cicadas in the trees just buzzing and buzzing. And you can hear them here. And it I'll just stop talking for a minute and let you listen. I just heard a car horn. I've heard crows and there's all kind of stuff. So anyway, here I am sitting in the park in Columbus, Georgia. And who knows, I, I will probably be in a new place for the next episode. But anyway, let's, let's get on with it. It's going to be a dual topic today. I'm going to cover two subjects and the first one is the one I told you about, I think, in the last episode. Could have been the one before, where I said I was going to review with you my experiences in starting up this new open bluegrass jam session. Because we've got four weeks now um, of experience. We've been going for exactly four weeks, and the fifth one will be tonight. And again, this is at Pat's Place in Americus, Georgia, if you happen to be in the area. Okay, now, 
first thing I want to tell you about it is that the reason the jam is even started in the first place is because at Pat's place on Tuesday night they have bluegrass but it's not really a jam session it's you know Pat and you know some hand-picked musicians it's almost almost like a band it's not quite like a band because they don't rehearse but it's it's some guys who know each other and get together every week and play at Pat's place and if I've talked about this before that you know if a musician happened to walk in and they saw these guys over in the corner picking they might think oh this is a jam session I should bring my fiddle next week you know that sort of thing and while they don't completely encourage that well they don't encourage that at all they don't really discourage it completely either in other words sometimes it does happen but space is really tight in that little place and they're sort of selective about who they want to play with them and that's fine it's you know it's their thing so you know I've observed this a couple of times um, people thinking it was a jam and then discovering that it was not a jam not really a jam now you know if if you happen to be a really good fiddle player and you know they realize that because you came in thinking it was a jam and you played a few tunes they might be begging you to come every week I don't know um, it's not really my thing that's sort of how I got hooked up with them is I kind of thought it was a jam too and I played mandolin a little bit and I I filled in for the banjo player a couple of times and I filled in for the bass player a couple of times but I found my little home uh, by playing dobro because they didn't really have a dobro person they did have mandolin they did have banjo they did have bass so there was nothing regular I could do there and I just suggested to them well what if I just bring the dobro you know oh yeah definitely definitely do that so I, I go down there on Tuesday nights and I, I, I have taught myself to play dobro courtesy of them allowing me to play with them on Tuesdays so that's the Tuesday deal so I was trying to come up with a solution for creating a true open jam session that anybody can come you know a, a good banjo player a terrible banjo player Somebody who knows nothing of bluegrass but is a little interested in it. Maybe a guitar player. Beginners. You know, just, just everybody of every um, skill level getting together and jamming. And so I suggest, why don't we do this on Thursday night? And we'll do it outside. They've got this little, uh, I don't know what you call it. Uh, it's kind of, It's not really a roof. It's just a... A structure um, I don't know what you call these he calls it a pergola I'm not sure what a pergola is so I don't know if I want to use that term but he calls it the pergola and there are uh, jasmine vines growing all over it so it's, it's a shady little place out there and there are outside tables and benches and places like that where people can put their cases and sit so we've got a little more space if we do it outside so, made some flyers. I started putting it on Facebook. Okay, so we get the Thursday thing up and running. 
and I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of how what the turnout has been and I've got to remind you that the county well the town that, that I'm talking about is America's Georgia and the county the the total population of the whole county is roughly 30,000 people you know you may have more people than that living in your uh, apartment complex you know <laughs> I don't know I mean you can hardly compare the population of America's even to Columbus I, I think where I'm sitting right now in Columbus Georgia I think the Columbus let's call it the metropolitan area is probably 280,000 people or something. so approximately 10 times as many people within easy driving distance so if, what I'm saying is if I had a weekly jam in Columbus I've got 10 times as many people possible musicians to draw upon so I'm just saying uh, this America's thing is a small thing. You know, it's a small town and it's a small place and that means we're gonna it's gonna be slim pickings when it comes to pickers. So of course I ask all the Tuesday night guys, hey, you know, you should come back on Thursday and jam. And thankfully some of some of them did. So the first week we had a banjo player. He was their regular Tuesday night banjo player. He came. And we had a guy who plays guitar and sings and plays lead, you know, flat picking solos. He's also a regular on Tuesday. And he came the first night. And then we had three beginner mandolin players. Now, I say beginner not, and if any of them are listening, that is not meant as an insult. It just means that, you know, if you just had to call them beginner, intermediate, or advanced, I'd probably call them, they're in the beginner range, maybe, you know, on some of the things they do, they're maybe approaching the intermediate level. I don't think either one of, either one of two of them that I'm, well, all three, I don't think any of the three has ever been a member of a band has played gigs. I mean, they might have on another instrument that I'm not aware of, like, I mean, listen to these cicadas. Which, incidentally, if you don't know what a cicada is, it's a big, wet insect. And when you see them emerge, they're about three, two, two and a half, three inches long, big old, fat, ugly bug with these big wings. Ooh. Well, and there's actually two two types of bugs. You've got your cicadas and you've got your katydids, which are completely different. Katydid looks like a, a green grasshopper. But a cicada is this big, fat bug, <laughs> insect, with these wings. And he's the, he's the guy who, um, if I'm not incorrect here, spends 17 years in the larval stage, living underground, basically like a grub. And then when it's time, he crawls out of the ground and crawls up a tree trunk. And usually, I don't know, a foot or two or three feet above the ground, he just hangs onto the side of the tree and his outer shell begins to harden. And then he splits down the back and he crawls out of his own skin and emerges this adult cicada. And that's what we're hearing. 
Well, he leaves behind his little shell, and I've always been mystified how how they can even get out. I mean, every little claw, every little crook and hinge of their legs and everything, it's all left behind. They completely come out of their own skin. It's weird. And then, of course, as kids, we would always find these dried-up brown shells of a cicada bug hanging on these on tree trunks and you'd gather them up and you'd play army with them they would be like your army men you know you'd line up yours and the other guy'd line up his and you would attack each other and stuff or if you just wanted to frighten you know girls at school you could just stick them on your shirt because they had really sharp little claws you could just wear him you know put him on your just stick him on the front of your shirt and kind of push down and he would ride around on your shoulder and you could say hey look at this and, you know, the little girls would scream and stuff. So anyway, that's what we're hearing, these cicadas. So uh, back to the jam discussion. First week, I'm going to get there early. I'm going to get there at 6.30. We're starting at 7. I leave the house with my base, my upright base. And with high hopes, we're going to have a turnout. And halfway there... A humongous thunderstorm starts up, and when I arrive, it is raining cats and dogs, and we were going to be outside. So, <laughs> uh, you know, a little talking to the management, and we whittled out a place inside, basically playing where the Tuesday night bunch always plays, and we played inside. But we were a little cramped for space, and it was it's always really, really noisy in there. But we only had a banjo player, a guitar player, me on bass, and these three mandolin players. So we fit. We fit in the space. And we had a good time. And we jammed. And it was fun. Would have been nice to have had a fiddle player, for, for sure. But anyway, it was a success. The second week rolled around. Second week, we had more people there. We had... Uh, two, I think maybe possibly a third guy pulled out a guitar for a little while. But we had two solid guitar players who both sang and who both could flat pick and play solos. And we had two or three, I can't remember if all three of the, what I'm calling the beginner mantle players showed up. Well, I can't remember if it was two or three that week. Definitely, I know it was at least two. And me on the bass. And we had a different guy playing banjo. And that was very encouraging to me. Because, well, now we've had two banjo players showed up. So we were pulling in a guy who did not normally come on Tuesday night. And I viewed that as a very good sign. So that night worked out great, except for one minor problem. <laughs> when I arrived, I arrived at about a quarter till seven. Got my bass out. There were already guys there tuning up. They were already picking. And I walked inside the pizza place, got myself a Guinness, and brought it out. And I was just raising it to my lips to take the first sip. And it, just as it barely touched my lips, the manager that, who was on duty that night came out and said, Hey, Brad, your son just called. My son called? Pat's place, my 11-year-old son. Yeah, he, he he just called, and he said you locked him out of the house. That 
he and mom are locked out of the house. And I just set my beer down. Actually, I handed it to the guy. I said, can you just put this in the fridge? I'm going to have to ride home. So it's about, it's about a 10-minute ride there and 10 minutes back. And I was thinking, now how did I lock them out of the house? I thought they were in the house. And I habitually, if I'm heading off to a gig or something, as I'm leaving, I'll lock the door as I go out of the house. That's a habit from living around Atlanta. I don't think I really need to lock the doors where I live. Um, but I guess it's a habit from living it, you know, around Atlanta. Anyway, so just by habit, you know, I haul the base out to the car and I come back in and get my couple of bluegrass fake books to have on hand and I've got a clipboard with a, with a sign-up sheet and, you know, I'm carting stuff back and forth to the car and then I locked the door and I left. Well, I didn't realize it, but they had gone outside and were in the side yard. Jackson was swinging He's got this swing called the Swerfer, which is kind of like a swing crossed with a, with like a surfboard or a, I don't know, which looks like a little mini surfboard. And he's, they were out there. I didn't know it. I locked him out. <laughs> and uh, so Jackson went to the neighbor's house and called Pat's place and said, hey, Dad, come home. you got to let us in. So I left the jam went home, unlocked the door sheepishly and apologized, and turned around and drove back to Pat's place. So it's now 7.30, and it, I was very encouraged. I realized, you know what, these people don't really need me. Oh, they, they liked it when I pulled the bass out and started playing, but they were jamming. They were jamming without me, so th that's, that's good. That's the kind of jam you want to build. If you're so integral to the process that if you can't be there it all falls apart that's bad so I look at it that's a positive you know they don't absolutely need me um, so that was week two week three we had two guitars and once again this was encouraging we had a different guitar player than we had ever had and he knew a bunch of bluegrass songs so that that was helpful and we had the three same three guys on mandolin one of those guys by the way was a, a mandolin student of mine when he was a kid and then he kind of got into playing guitar and stuff and he actually switched back and forth some from playing rhythm guitar to playing mandolin because there were three mandolins there there might have even been a fourth one there another beginner and we had no banjo we had no fiddle we had no dobro we had no nothing. We didn't really have anybody to play solos because the guitar player, singer, he doesn't flat pick. He plays rhythm and he sings. So it was like, well, just keep singing. And the, the couple of those mantle players, you know, did take some solos on a few things. Um, and me on the bass again. I was so desperate for lead um, soloists that at about 8 o'clock I walked inside the pizza joint to get my second beer and I saw a guy sitting at a table and I, he's a known harmonica player around town. I said, hey Bill, you got your harmonicas with you? We need you bad out there. He's like, nah, I don't have them. I'm like, hey, I think I got one in the car.
get when, you know, when you finish, you get up, come out there. And I dug around the car. Sure enough, had a had a C harmonica, which you can play G blues on. So that works pretty good for a you know your basic bluegrass jam. You really need to be able to honk the blues in G. Or, you know, whatever. You need your full belt, like Harps Jackson would have. But anyway, I roped him into coming out and playing a few tunes. And again, we had a pretty good time, but it was weak in the picking department because we didn't have a banjo picker. And we, no fiddle player so far. Then week four, last week, was kind of different. It kind of turned into like a deadhead jam. We had no banjo. We had one rhythm guitar player, two of the beginner, I keep calling them beginners, they, you know, they've been playing a year or two, possibly longer, but you, you kind of know what, you know, they know a few tunes and sing a few things and know some chords, but not a whole lot. They don't know a whole lot. So we had the two beginner mandolin players. We had, thank goodness, the, the guy who plays guitar on Tuesday night with them and who came on week one and on week two, well, he was back on week four. So he sings lead, he plays lead, he plays rhythm guitar. And there was another guy playing some rhythm and taking a couple of little leads on the, on the guitar. And they got into singing some, you know, Jerry Garcia stuff and, you know, some kind of hippie stuff and whatever. And I was playing bass. And again, we had no banjo, no fiddle, no dobro. So this... This is not turning out to be like the ultimate bluegrass jam session. You know, the, the one that I'm dreaming of, you know, at all times. But it still could happen, you know. If everybody who's been there once all came on the same night, we could have a pretty good jam. Still need a dobro player. And, and one of the guys that showed up with a banjo, his brother plays upright bass. I said, tell your brother to come. Because... He can play the bass, and I'll I'll jump over on dobro. So you can see what I'm going through here. But a, but a couple of lessons learned, I would say, is you need a couple of ringers. You need a couple of experienced people. And if you don't have them, your jam is going to fall flat on its face. If you've got, let's say, five beginners, and some of them are more beginner than others, what are you going to be able to do aside from maybe I could have a little mandolin workshop? I actually brought my mandolin last week. Didn't get it out of the car, but I brought it because I, I thought, you know what? These mandolin guys are really digging this jam. I mean, it's they're having a blast. But the other people are not having as much of a blast. You know, if some really hot pickers showed up, they would be having, a, you know, a better time. And I thought, well, they're probably going to be there. And if nobody else shows up, maybe I'll just pull out my mantle and have a little Q&A session and say, what do you, any, you got any questions? You want, me, you want me to explain this chord triangulation deal or any chords? Or, what can I help you with? You know, we might have had a little mantle and workshop. But luckily we had our couple of guitar players who wanted to pick and sing and stuff so I didn't didn't actually do that but you know that was kind of in my back pocket as a backup plan in case nobody showed up anyway so rule one I think if you're going to do this 
you need to get a commitment, at least a commitment of, yeah, I'll, I'll try to come, or I'll, I'll, maybe I can make it every other time or something. You need a couple of ringers. You need a couple of people who've done this and who know what they're doing. Even if it's just one strong instrumental player and one maybe guitar player who sings and picks. Because now you got two instruments that can take breaks and somebody who can sing. And you throw a bass in with that, and you got a little trio. You got a guitar and a banjo and a, and a bass. And the mandolin players, if they can't really play on a particular song, they can, you know, practice their chords and whatever, do what they can do. But you need some ringers. So if you're going to start a jam, I suggest that you sort of make a pact with a couple of other players. And perhaps th they're better than you, you know, and that's okay. You might be the one who doesn't know that much. Try to get at least a rotation going and a commitment, some sort of commitment out of a couple of good players because it helps the good players have a better time and it helps the not-so-good players get better. So you need some ringers. That's the first thing, which I knew going into this, but it's becoming more and more evident that the, the more experienced players you have the better overall the jam turns out uh, number two you need patience i personally am sometimes a little short on patience with people i'm like huh. i mean sometimes i see stuff and i'm like what are you thinking you know like like the guitar player with no capo I'm like dude what are you thinking and so i deliberately jackson came one night and i I got him up there singing that, uh, what was that song I put on the podcast? It was uh, oh, uh, New River Train. Jackson, I'm like, Jackson, come over here and sing New River Train. And I'm like, Kia B, boys. Well, the banjo player and one of the guitar players slaps his capo on the fourth fret. I look at the other guitar player. He's got his on the third fret. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Go up one more. I look at the other guy. He ain't got no capo. He's like, so what are, the, what are those chords in B? I'm like, okay, it'll be B, E, and F sharp. Okay, let's go. And I, I, that's all I said. But, it, you know, I'm a little impatient with things like that. But I'm, I make up for it in perseverance, you know. Like, I'm impatient to sell some of my ebooks and videos. I'm very impatient about that. But I also persevere. You know, I'm like a tortoise. I just keep marching forward. So tonight will be the fifth week where I'm demonstrating perseverance. I'm not going to pull the plug on this jam just yet. It's going to have to get really bad for a couple of weeks in a row before. I mean, i got to be standing there alone with my bass. Maybe two weeks in a row before I finally pull the plug on this thing. But who knows? It may grow legs and it may keep going without me. And that would be cool, too. Uh, third thing I've learned is you got to keep telling new people about this. Because you're going to get some people who try it out, and for whatever reason, it ain't their cup of tea. And they bail out, and they decide they're not coming back. So you got to be looking for new blood all the time. And enlist the people who are there, especially the ones who look like they're having a good time, and say, bring somebody with you next week. You know, try to make them into your army of, you know, because you, you need five or six, four or five, six people. Um, 
try to get other people to help you make it happen. Uh, the fourth thing, which I've been doing, is build a list. Get the email addresses or phone numbers if you want to do phone numbers. Get the email address of every picker who shows up. I carry a clipboard with a sign-up sheet. And if, if I see anybody who isn't already on there, I get them to put their info down there. That way I can send them a little reminder email. And I always say in the email, forward this to all your bluegrass friends who you think might want to come too. And we, we you know, we're doing the flyers and flyers and, you know, the poster at the pizza place and stuff. But I'm going to just, today is the first one that I'm not sending out a reminder on because I'm over here in Columbus. And where I'm sitting right now, I have no internet access. So there's going to be no reminder going out. So we'll just see, you know, I'll let you know next week how it turned out. But anyway, think ringers. You need a couple of them. Think, try to have patience with people because there'll be a lot of people there. You know, they're pretty new to this. Try to have perseverance. Try to hang in there and keep it going. Keep going. Get Enlist the pickers to help you keep finding other pickers and build yourself a little emailing list because a, a reminder sent out the day before and then maybe again on the day of, is good. Especially email. I think it's better than Facebook. Because on Facebook, your little message, I mean, I guess if you private message them, it would work better. But they may not see it. There's so much stuff passing through. They may just thumb scroll right by it, and they're off on other tangents. There's just, it could get lost in a sea of information that comes in Facebook form. I'm not saying don't use Facebook and don't use Twitter, but an email is probably going to get their attention better. And I, I always create, I, I created a mini version of the flyer that's a graphic that goes into email, and I encourage them to post that on their own social media stuff, which I don't know if anybody has done that yet, but I wish they would. Okay, so that's how the jam is going. Now I'm going to get to my next and final topic for today. And I'm just checking the battery power. I'm still at 79%. This uh, this old MacBook Pro uh, handed to me by my brother when my big iMac bit the dust. Um, his wife was using this computer. And for whatever reason, they couldn't get it to start up. And he's like, I don't know what's wrong with it. If you can get it to run, uh, you can just have it. But the only thing is, my wife wants to be sure that if you do get it to run, be sure and get all her photos off of there. Well, I took it home, and in five minutes, I had it running. It had a CD stuck in the CD drive. And so it was trying to boot from the CD for whatever reason. And it wasn't a bootable CD. And the thing just, it was just a, a boat anchor, you know, a bookend, a paperweight. Well, you know, I knew the secret command to make it eject the CD, which all you Mac people know how to do that. Ejected, booted right up. So the first thing I did was uh, copied all her photos off and uh, thanked them profusely for the, for the new computer. Well, it's not new. It's pretty old, actually. But uh, it, thank you for the working computer. And I'm still using it. Um, and it has a pretty good battery. I'm looking at it and it's 
sitting here at 79%. That's pretty good. And I've already been talking for half an hour. Okay, so here is the second topic. And by the way, quick plug, you know, to my, I'm always doing these podcast shout outs. Um, there's a new podcast. You probably already know about it. You mandolin players probably already know about it because it's been, you know, promoted on Mandolin Cafe. You've seen it there. And it's pretty good. They've put out two so far. I say they. It's one guy. I'm trying to think of his name. Patrick something. Or maybe his last name is Patrick. I forgot. I just listened to the second episode this morning on the way over here to Columbus. And the name of the podcast is Mandolins and Beer. Sounds like a title that I might have come up with. Uh, anyway, I encourage you mandolin players to, uh, <laughs> you know, increase your earbud time by also listening to um, Mandolins and Beer podcast. Uh, I, I, you know, I just have to say, my first impression is the guy is a much better podcaster than I am. You know, uh, somebody wrote a comment about my podcast. I think it might have been over on the website Bluegrass Today. Brad delivers his podcast in a folksy style. <laughs> I'm kind of folksy. Well, this guy over at Mandolin's Beer, he is not folk folksy or folky at all. He's very hip and very cool and he speaks very well and I I wish them all the best. I truly do. And they're doing all the things, you know, selling that, you know, uh, selling gear and uh, swag. I can't remember. It's swag. Swag's the free stuff, right? Or when you're selling it, it's merch. So they got the merch. They got the Patreon thing going on. So, uh, you mandolin players scope out mandolins and beer, and uh, best of luck to them, of course. And when I do bride of podcast shout-outs, when I do that, the, my third one, I'll be sure to include them in my list of other suggested podcasts. Um, oh, and by the way, I fixed my lawnmower. <laughs> for those, for, for uh, those of you who were worried about me, because <laughs> I was like. I gotta go out and repair the lawnmower. Well, I had to order a new starter for it, and uh, the thing arrived, and I slapped it on there. It took five minutes, put that starter on there, and by golly, I was mowing last evening, and Lord knows it needs it. You let the place go. It's been now a week and a half or two weeks, and we've been getting rain. I got grass in some areas waist high. Anyway, I'm back in business in the mowing business. Okay, let's get on to the second and final topic. And this is, before I get into this, I want to thank the patrons. I uh, have a new patron, a guy named Brandon signed up. Thanks a bunch, Brandon. This is so helpful to have the support of the patrons. And if you want to help out, keep this podcast going. For example, I'm speaking over into a microphone into this little Behringer Euphoria UM2. Um, basically, it's an AD converter. And it's sending the audio to the computer. The patrons bought this little gizmo. It was only 35 bucks, but hey, I appreciate it. And I needed the thing in order to be doing what I'm doing right now and also to be able to do mobile interviews. So thanks, Patreon, Patreon patrons. 
And if you're interested in doing that, you go to patreon.com slash Bradley Laird. All one word, Bradley Laird. Okay. And, of course, I'll just quick plug the site. You can always go to bradleylaird.com, stroll around, all the free, free instructional stuff, and you will also find my various ebooks, courses, and videos. And that is an equally good way to support not only the show, but everything else I'm doing. You know, if I produce something and I think, oh, this is great, you know, I'll write a bass instruction course and I'll create a complete bass learning system. And if I, you know, sell three of them in the next year, I might go, well, that was a dumb idea. And that sort of thing then leads to, maybe I'm not going to do this. Or I've got this idea, but you know what? It's too much work, too much trouble. Won't sell enough of them to make it worthwhile. So every time you buy something that some of my instructional material that I've created, it's also a vote for future material. So bear that in mind. Now let's get on to the thing. I got an email from a person. I'm not going to identify the person. Um, I'm going to read you the email, and then I responded to the person, the guy. It's a guy. And I presume he's a podcast listener. He's listening to Crass Talk Radio, just based on what he's kind of hinted around. He didn't come out and say it, but he must be. Um, And I'm going to preface this by saying what I told him and what I'm repeating to you is my opinion on the, the given day that I responded to him. You are free to disagree with my opinion. And I will freely admit I don't have enough information to really offer any real advice. Look, I'm not a, I'm not a family counselor. I'm not a financial planner. I'm certainly not any kind of a lawyer. And I may not even give good advice. I mean, you, you be the judge of that. You listen to all the podcasts so far. You can decide for yourself. And I would just put this in that same category. He asked for my, for my opinion, and I gave it to him. So I'm going to tell you what my opinion is, was, and how I responded to him. And if you think I'm all wet, tell me. I would love to discuss that. And I, you know, I'm not above changing my mind or being enlightened to certain things. You know, maybe I am a little too folksy and backwards, not hip to the way, you know, things are supposed to be today. I don't know. Old school, maybe. Uh, anyway, so here's his email. I'm, I may skip around a little bit, but here's the here's the question I got. He says, "So the band I've been playing with for the last few months is playing our first gig this weekend. I have become a much better player by playing with these guys and don't want to stop." I'm going to interject here now. So this is telling me that this guy is um, moving from beginner to intermediate. He's, he's, he says he's in this band, but they're doing their first gig. So, well, they could be a band of people who've been playing for 20 years, and they've just formed a new band, and the new band is playing a gig. So I can't tell from that statement 
is this sort of like a bunch of beginners getting together and they're going to go out and do their first gig and it's their first gig for everybody? Or how seasoned a players they are? I'm not sure of that, okay? And that would weigh into my opinion a little bit here. But then he says, I've become a much better player by playing with these guys. So it sounds like these guys are decent players. And he is learning by being associated with them. And I've said this before. Try to play with people better than you. So he's doing that. And he says, and I don't want to stop. I'm thinking, well, why are you stopping? You know. Well, he goes on. He says, I have three kids and one on the way all with after-school activities, and I don't think I will have time for a band rehearsal once a week. I know I can stay up late and learn fiddle tunes, as I have for so long, but playing by myself gets boring really fast. I'm really getting depressed about this and don't know if I should just give it up or try to keep playing by myself after the kids go to sleep. Thanks for any advice. So, here's my reply. Hi. I'll leave a blank for his name. I need to think on this before I blurt out my thoughts. I do have a question that I would like you to clarify. You mentioned getting depressed, but you also mentioned about eight other factors before that. What, which of those factors is making you depressed? Playing alone, wanting to perform but thinking you have too many obligations. Try to list out the, the facts that bum you out. In other words, he mentioned a lot of things, and I just wanted a little clarification as to which of those things was the thing that was really bothering him. You know, sounds like I my my guess was that it was the time commitment. The time commitment to a weekly rehearsal. That seemed like the flaw in the slaw. And then I finished my email out to him with, You are doing the gig with him, right? Signed, Brad. Okay, so he replies back. Yes, we are doing a gig this weekend. So I think that's a plus. Because I don't think he can really judge should he continue until he has actually done it. I mean, rehearsing is one thing, but playing gigs is another. And so you need some experience doing that before you can decide, well, how valuable is this to me in my life? So anyway, he replies, yes, we are doing a gig this weekend, but now that school is starting back, I don't know that I'll have the time to commit to a weekly band rehearsal. I know I can keep learning fiddle tunes by myself, but as you've mentioned, it's hard to play bluegrass by yourself. Yes, I have certainly said that. I guess I just enjoy playing with my group. And the thought of having to start playing by myself again bums me out a bit. So I, I think I was pretty correct. He's worried about the time commitment. And he's enjoying it. And the thought of just going back to being, you know, Mr. Mandolin, playing at home, playing along with jam tracks and stuff like that, it doesn't sound as appealing to him, and he doesn't want to go back to doing that. So here comes then my reply, and this is where your 
again, you're free to disagree, and his wife and kids are free to disagree with me too, <laughs> you know. But here I go. This is what I said. Thanks for the extra info. First, do the gig. Talk to the other players. You are in this together. Now, I didn't say this in the email. What I meant by talk to the other players is talk to them about this rehearsal thing. Where's it going to be? Is it sometimes going to be at your own house? I mean, you're going to rotate. Some bands rotate around. You know, like, well, on, you know, first week we go to the guitar player's house, and next week we go to the mound player's house, and then we go to, you know, a rotating thing affects this because, of course, I've been in bands that did that, and certain locations were great and certain weren't. There was certain, a couple of times where when we rehearsed at so-and-so's house, it always turned into a party because the guy's wife would invite all the neighbors over and friends and serve food, and it was just chaotic. We couldn't really practice it. It became like a party-slash-jam session. But when we practiced at the bachelor's house, you know, it was just a get-down-to-business type of practice. <laughs> anyway, so that's one thing you'd want to talk to the other band members. How often? How far is it? Where, where are we doing this? And he may know all this stuff already. Um, in other words, get really get it ironed out what exactly is the commitment you know are we going to practice every week where are we going to do that how far so how many hours is that going to take me etc because you guys are in this together and you'll get an idea from them as to how committed they are to having you in the band they may have five other mantle players lined up to replace you and and so this you know could you need to find out how they feel. So talk to the other people in the band. Then I get to my second and more controversial one. Second, you deserve to be happy and do some things just because you like doing them. And, I, you know, I'm saying that to a father. Father, husband of three kids, one on the way. I'm presuming he has a job, probably. She probably does, too. And the kids are busy at school, and they got all the after-school activities, and, you know, you know all that, soccer and Little League and piano lessons and ballet recitals and swimming lessons, you know. So I'm just painting the picture that I'm imagining. But when I said you deserve to be happy and do some things just because you like doing them, I'm defending that, that little bit of reserved self-interest and I continued if you are not happy how can you be a good husband and father I can tell you this and I'm just this is my reply I'm still in my reply to him it is good for kids to go hang out and watch pop play I have photos of my three-year-old daughter sleeping on a folded upright base bag right behind one of our Tapco main speakers at a New Year's Eve gig. It was probably midnight. She will tell you today at age 34 that it was worth it. And I'll just add this. I've dragged my kids to gigs a lot. Not every time. Sometimes it just wasn't practical. 
but a lot of times it was like you're playing this little park thing it's a you know little fest festival fair type thing you know and you're like you know there's stuff for them to do and you know they can run around and do things and eat the cotton candy and I'm taking them to bluegrass festivals I don't find anything wrong with that at all. You, you don't have to cut your kids out of it. I think it may even be good to force them into it a little bit. You know. And let me expand. This wasn't in my email, but this is why I wanted to talk about this today. Your. When I say your, I'm talking to the person that wrote me the email. Your happiness and satisfaction out of life sets an example to your children and to your wife. You're not their doormat. You're not their slave. You're not their chauffeur. Yes, you may fulfill a lot of those roles. You know, getting your wallet out, paying for this, paying for that, drive them here, drive them there. I get it. And you want to do all those things for your kids. But not at the total expense of yourself and your own interests. They need to sit down and think about you and what you ask of them. I'll bet you that, you know, it's very unbalanced. You know, four kids, he's going to be a busy guy. But they also have to balance that by, you know, giving him a leash. Letting him, you know, okay, so on Tuesday night I practice with the guys. That's it. You know, I'm not going to um, play poker and get drunk with my friends. I'm just going to band practice. That's all I'm doing. And we're going to play a gig, you know what, one a month, if we're lucky. You got to, you know, you got to make your case that there's some things you want too. And you're entitled to have some of the things that you want. Third, and I'm back in my reply to him, playing alone sucks. I didn't say practicing alone sucks. Practicing alone is vital, but playing alone, certainly in bluegrass. Bluegrass is a group thing. Then I start dishing out the advice. You may just need to sit your wife and kids down and say that you want to do this. And I'll insert this. This wasn't in my reply to him. And remind them that you're not leaving town, going on tour joining a full-time bluegrass band that's going to be traveling to Europe and to Japan and doing the festival circuit and you'll be home, you know, maybe see them at Christmas. That's not what you're doing. So remind them that that's not what you're doing and that's not your goal. All you want to do is go to practice on Tuesday night and play an occasional gig. And you'll be a lot happier if you can do that. That's what I'm telling. Then I continued on. And this is where you may feel free to disagree. I said this to him. Kids, in my humble opinion, turn out better when they are not number one. Because they're not number one. They're, you and your wife are number one. Make sure that is good. Because how many families have ended up in divorce? You know, just look at the statistics. Happens all the time. That's because the number one priority wasn't, you know, keeping mom and dad happy. And, you know, God forbid when there's kids involved. I'm not saying this guy's going through a divorce. And I pray he never does. You know, they may have a very happy family life. You know, that's great. But you and your wife are number one. 
bread on the table and a roof over your head is number two. And you can add in all the other obligations like paying your taxes and keeping the lights on and whatever. I'm just sort of, you know, letting that represent. That's number two. You and your wife are number one. Remind those kids once in a while, I brought you into this world. By God, I can take you out. You know, remind them that uh, mom and dad were here first. And you kids will have your time. Okay. So anyway, and then I said, and the kids are number three. They're way ahead of a lot of other things, like buying yourself a pair of jet skis, a trip to the dog track, or donating to some political cause, or what I'm saying is there's a lot of things that you could do with your life and with your resources and your time that should not be ahead of the kids, you know. Kids are a solid three, you know, in my opinion. You and your wife are number one, keeping a roof over your head is number two, and the kids are number three. And maybe kids are number two. I mean, you know, you gotta, there's that cluster, everybody's important, but you cannot, I don't think it's wise to elevate your children to number one, and you're number maybe three, because all they're going to see is a miserable father. Who knows? His only purpose in life is chauffeur or money man. Pull the money out. Okay, so back to what I was saying to him. I said, the kids will have their life. Better that they see dad as happy and active and not as some downtrodden slave. You know? I don't know if this is, you know, stuff you agree with or not. I don't know. And then I said, this would make a good podcast. Do you mind if I waste an hour fully fleshing this out on the on podcast? I will not mention your name unless you say it's okay, blah, blah, blah. I could talk about it for days if I had the bandwidth. Ha, ha. I've signed off with keep your chin up, go to the gig, and let your family know that your needs are important too. So I'd be curious to think or to hear from you as to what you think of my wacky way of looking at the world. All right, so anyway, he just he, he wrote back, um, thanks for the help. I'm sure I'm not the only one with this issue, so knock yourself out. And that's how it goes. That was, so those are my thoughts on that. So just want to finish this up by saying that I'm, I'm quite sure that this guy is not the only person with the, this issue, he, as he stated. Because we're, and it's not just bluegrass music, it's a lot of things in our life. There's things we want to do and we put them on hold or we don't do them because of our obligations to the other members of our family. And sometimes it's relatives, sometimes it's your parents, you know, your aging parents who are sick. And sometimes it's commitments at work. You know, there's you. You're always weighing one thing against another, or a whole bunch of other things. I know everybody is um, involved and burdened in supporting a lot of other things. But somewhere in amongst all that, you must remember yourself. And yes, that is selfish, but. A little bit of selfishness is what keeps the world going. I, look, I'm, 
this will probably raise some eyebrows, but I think that for just giving you an example of what I mean by the type of self-interest is let's say I decide to become a volunteer at the local soup kitchen. And I am being so altruistic and I'm doing for others. I'm helping other people. Well, you're also helping yourself because now you feel better about yourself. You like yourself better because of this donation of your time that you're giving. So there is self-interest in that too. You know, when I help a kid at a, at a mandolin, you know, show him how to play a chop chord at a bluegrass festival or something because he was doing all this weird stuff. I'm like, here, let me show you how to do that. There's self-interest in that too. Yeah, I'm helping the kid, but I'm also helping me to not hear that trash he was playing before, you know? So there's always a touch of self-interest in everything we do. If you become completely selfless, you're not going to be around very long and you're certainly not going to be happy. You have to have your self-interest at heart. You've got to eat. You've got to take care of your, your own body and your own psychological needs. It can go too far the other way. You can become completely self-absorbed to the neglect of all of your fellow man. You know, and that is bad too. Uh, and you know that. I, everybody listening to this podcast already knows all this stuff. I am sure I'm preaching to the choir. I want you guys to have a great week. And, you know, I've enjoyed sitting here passing the time with you and looking over my shoulder at the Chattahoochee River. It's just a beautiful day. It's a, I can't complain today. I don't think I've made any money today, but uh, at least I haven't really spent any money today. And, you know, I, I saw this guy mowing yesterday when I dropped Jackson off at, at at his school I saw this guy unloading a tractor with a bush hog on it I sat there and watched him a while I was kind of jealous of him I'm like that guy he's going to mow that field and he pulled that thing off, cranked it up went out there and started mowing and I thought well, I, you know, I could do that, I could do something like that during the day over here in Columbus I was jealous of the guy because he had something to do that day, and I didn't. I was going to the library, checking my emails, see if I had any, you know, any customer issue or something that I need to resolve or something. But I'm doing it away from home, and uh, you know that guy's getting paid to mow grass. And when I get home this weekend, well, this weekend, I'll be mowing grass for no pay. And I was thinking, I'm actually jealous. In a, in a small way, of this guy who probably hates his job and is dreading being on that mower out in that hot sun all day long cutting grass at, you know, the county parks or whatever. He's probably like, he wishes he was doing something else. And I kind of wish I was doing what he was doing, at least today. But then again, I think he's on that mower again today out there mowing, <laughs> mowing for the county. And I'm sitting here in the park. It's nice and cool. It's breezy. I just saw two cops ride by on bicycles. They just looked at me. They probably thought, what is that guy doing over there? He's got a mic stand set up on a picnic table. Anyway, I'm just enjoying sitting here at Rotary Park. Uh, Google that. And you, you know, you can pull it up on Google Earth or something and see right where I'm sitting. I'm sitting right beside the boat ramp. 
at Rotary Park. It's on uh, Victory Drive, Columbus, Georgia. I got the Chattahoochee River right behind me. And if I could see far enough, there's a museum over here just to my left. It's, I think it originally was a Confederate Naval Museum because they sunk some Confederate gunboats and stuff here in the Chattahoochee when Columbus was attacked during the Civil War. And by the way, Columbus, the battle, well, it wasn't much of a battle. It was the Union Army moving in from Alabama, coming across a bridge into Columbus. And uh, Columbus was being defended by, you know, some kids and old men. <laughs> you know, all the soldiers were either dead or they were up, you know, with fighting with Lee in Virginia. So Columbus, which was an industrial center, uh, there was a sword-making factory here and a, a foundry. They made cannons and, and a lot of other things, too, a lot of textiles and that kind of thing. Columbus was sort of as far as you could come from the Gulf of Mexico by river traffic, by riverboat. So it was an important center at that time. And it, it's still an important center, but for different reasons now. It seems to be a center of banking or something. I haven't quite figured out Columbus today. But there was a Confederate Naval Museum. I think they dredged up some of those old sunken boats and kind of restored them, made some kind of a museum. But now I think it's called the National Civil War Naval Museum, if my eyes are reading that sign. But I'm sitting right next to that. So I haven't been over there. I'm, maybe I'll go over there this afternoon or take Jackson there one day. Anyway, y'all have a wonderful week. Um, tell all your friends about Grass Talk Radio. And uh, just enjoy your week. Y'all take care.